This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, October 24, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. After rejecting the Trans-Pacific Partnership and reshaping but not abandoning NAFTA, the U.S. is moving toward trade agreements with various countries. But what's the underlying motivation? It doesn't appear to be free trade. Is there any strategy at all in U.S. trade negotiations? Cato Trade Policy Analyst Simon Lester comments. Yeah, the theory of some people in the Trump administration is that nobody has challenged China before, and if we impose tariffs on them, that will get them to to liberalize, to you know, finally follow the rules of the world trading system. Um, most trade policy experts says that's unlikely, uh, and so far, what we've seen is the evidence, you know, ha- hasn't worked out that way. Um, in response to the Trump administration's tariff tariffs, China has uh, responded with its own tariffs. So what we've just seen is a proliferation of tariffs on both sides, and there doesn't seem to be any sign at this point of that letting up. I think the Trump administration is pretty confident in its approach. They think this is going to work. They see the U.S. economy doing well, um, so they see no harm from the tariffs. I think that until we see some blip in the U.S. economy, which, you know, as we know historically, I mean, the U.S. economy won't boom forever. Until we see some some downturn, I don't think the Trump administration is going to back off. I think China has too much pride to sort of back down in, in the face of U.S. bullying. So I think we're just stuck with these tariffs um, for the next, you know, in the short term, the next few months uh, in, in, until there's some, some major shakeup in the election, the midterm elections or some economic downturn in the United States. This is this is what we have. And um, people will have to, to deal with it. You know, we're going to pay consumers will pay higher prices. Some U.S. businesses will be hurt. Um, but it doesn't sound like the Trump administration is willing to, to listen to them. Have we seen in the economy anything that indicates that these uh, these tariffs have done bad things? I know there are a lot of suppliers and consumers of various products who are scrambling to try to uh, keep up and our other erstwhile overseas partners uh, are finding other uh, products to buy and sell. There are plenty of good anecdotes, and the the media has done a good job of reporting on you know businesses who were you know hurt by um, the higher cost of of inputs, uh, you know aluminum or steel or you know other other inputs they use. Um, but you know the overall economy has done well enough that it just it, it hasn't really registered with people, um, and it's just they're, the people who are affected um, haven't uh, haven't offered a, a big enough outcry to uh, to really have an impact yet. Um, the story that the Trump administration is telling is just wait, have patience, this will pay off. And the Republicans in Congress are are giving him some slack. They're saying, "All right, yeah, let's let's see if it works." Um, you know, it, it, at a certain point, when if the tariffs are extended to more products and uh, people feel the cost of that um, to to a greater extent, maybe their outcry will be enough. But but for now, uh, the, the the anecdotes um, are are not enough. And even some of these people are even Trump supporters who say, "Yeah, it's hurting me, um, but I want to give it a chance." You know, how long can that last after six months, after a year? Will people say, you know what, this just isn't working. This is causing pain and we don't see any benefit from it. Uh, I think that's possible, but we're just not that we're just not there yet. All right. So among Mexico, Canada and the United States, NAFTA has been rejiggered and we've ended up with something that is slightly worse than NAFTA. Can you walk through some of the broad strokes of what that means? So yes, they, they've renegotiated NAFTA and, and it's a mixed bag. And I think there are some things that are potentially really bad, um, others that are that are fine. And there are, there are actually some good things in there. The really bad is um, they've 
taken uh, they've taken auto rules, um, the, the auto tariffs, and made it so that auto trade may longer may no longer be tariff free. That's the big thing that NAFTA did: is eliminated tariffs, almost all tariffs on trade between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. But now it's going to be a lot more difficult for auto trade to qualify for those zero tariffs. And it's a little unclear how the rules are actually going to function and what the the auto companies are going to do about it. Um, they're going to experience higher costs. Does that mean they're going to um, pass along those higher prices to, Ameri to uh, North American consumers? Yeah, that's one possibility. Um, they may also decide that it's just too costly to produce in North America, and they'll they'll focus production in, in other countries and will will import there. They might go produce in Asia. So there's a lot of question about how the auto companies are going to respond, um, but. Ultimately, it's going to be bad for American consumers and bad for the, um, the car companies that produce in North America. So that's probably the worst part of NAFTA. Um, there, there are some some decent things. Uh, they, the U.S. pressed hard to get the Canadians to open up their agricultural markets a little more. That was one thing that NAFTA didn't address, uh, and so you know that that's that's a benefit. It was it was something that was already in the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which the Obama administration had negotiated, but Trump withdrew from. Uh, so you know, so th there are some good things that you can point to in there, but but overall, I, I think it's probably a, a, a loss, a net negative, and there's also just the opportunity cost of this. We could have been out there negotiating new trade liberalization with countries with whom we don't already have trade agreements, but instead we opened up this old trade agreement, which was pretty good and was working. Um, so you know, it was really just kind of a, a waste of time at at, at best. Uh, now, with respect to these other countries, we are seeing a flurry of potential trade agreements that. Uh, are at least being discussed, but they're all bilateral and they all uh, seemingly will be, you know, th th there doesn't seem to be any strategy here at all. There doesn't seem to be a, a coherent strategy. You know, it may be that the Trump administration trade officials in their mind have a strategy, but to the outside uh, world, uh, any, any, you know, sort of observers, it doesn't look like much of a strategy. So they have pointed to the, the, the Trump administration has sent a notice of intent to Congress saying we're about to negotiate bilateral agreements with Japan, with the EU and with the United Kingdom. And, you know, I, I hope this works out. Uh, this is good news. This is better than renegotiating old agreements or imposing tariffs. So, so I like it in theory. Um, but there's a lot of work ahead. Um, you know, it's not easy to negotiate these trade deals. Uh, with Japan, in theory, it's not too difficult because the Obama administration negotiated with Japan as part of the TPP. So you could take that template and carry it over. So, so maybe it's not as hard um, as, as starting from scratch. But Japan has been reluctant here. Japan wanted the United States to come back to the TPP. So Japan was reluctant to, to engage in this, these bilateral negotiations. It sounds like maybe they've agreed, um, but we don't actually know um, what they think of this. The Trump administration wants to go ahead with it. We don't know how willing Japan will be to do it. The EU, I think, is the, the, the trading entity out there that's just the, the most reluctant to go along with uh, Trump administration bullying. So to be able to sit down with the EU and actually come to agreement on some difficult issues of regulation. Regulation. It, it's going to be a challenge. I mean, I, I'm glad we're trying it, but uh, this isn't going to be easy. And then the last one's the United Kingdom, which I think in theory will be the, will be the easiest, but they need to 
get out of the EU before they can you know, really start negotiating with other countries. And that doesn't look promising at this point. You know, They're trying to negotiate a withdrawal arrangement from the EU, and it's pretty contentious, and I don't know what the answers are. Once they get out, I think you'll have you know two governments who um, are, are you know historically you know strong allies, close allies, and are both relatively uh, free market um, oriented. So there there is great potential there. There's also going to be controversy. There are a lot of Brits who are concerned about. Um, U.S. regulations, the way they see it, the U.S. doesn't regulate enough and they're scared of certain you know, U.S. food products, the chlorinated chickens are the famous things that, that they're concerned about. I mean, I think there's a way around these issues, but the, the sentiment of, of the, of the uh, British people um, and their maybe uh, dislike of Donald Trump um, could get in the way of this. So, so none of this will be easy, but hey, it's great that they're trying. The rest of the world, of course, isn't standing still as the U.S. I don't know, fiddles around trade. What are the potential long-term impacts of, of cutting off or severely restricting relationships between private actors in the US and private actors in other countries? Yeah, we're, we're going to get left behind. Our producers um, are going to be at a disadvantage compared to their uh, competitors in other markets. So the EU and Japan have have negotiated a trade agreement. You know, it's not fully implemented yet. It's going to you know it's going to take a few months uh, to a year or, or slightly longer to get it fully implemented. But but they're way ahead of us on that. So that means um, European agriculture producers trying to sell to Japan uh, will have will have a price advantage because they will be subject to lower tariffs. Um, and you know, around the world, we're we're, we're Seeing that um, there is uh, Australia and New Zealand have uh, trade agreements with China. So when we talk about the inability of U.S. Uh, agriculture producers to sell beef in China, a big reason is that these other countries are subject to lower tariffs than we are. So you know we're watching the rest of the world go ahead. Most countries are still pretty favorable uh, towards trade liberalization, and they're pressing ahead with um, various bilateral and regional trade agreements. And that just means that U.S. producers are are, are left behind in all this. Um, you know, it, it's not like we can't catch up. Uh, you know, we we can at any moment start to play this game again and, and engage in trade liberalization. And hopefully, that's what the announcements about trade with uh, trade agreements with Japan, the EU, and the UK um, signal. Uh, but but. We haven't seen much of it, and you know we need to start. We can do it, but we need to start soon. Simon Lester is a trade policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Please take a moment to rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 